very few Marines have ever worked at the White House, and only a select few have been Marine Corps F.A. 18 Hornet pilots. And of those few, only one has ever served as a chief advisor to the White House alongside legendary Marine Corps General Jim Mattis. From a blue-collar Midwest boy to North Carolina wrestler turned Marine Corps fighter pilot, we talk flight school, carrier aviation, and being a new guy in combat, along with some port call shenanigans and how you earn the call sign BARF. But most importantly, we talk leadership and lessons from Defense Secretary Mattis. On today's episode, I welcome a good friend of mine, Marine Corps Hornet pilot Brad Barf Byers. I'm your host, Susan, and this is the Ready Room Podcast. Barf, welcome to the Ready Room Podcast. How you doing, brother? I'm hanging in, man. How are you doing, Susan? <laughs> Dude, I'm good, man. Thanks for taking this for the time, man. This is good stuff. We're here in Milwaukee uh, drinking some beers here in your sweet apartment. It so, is pretty sweet. Honestly, it's not bad. I'm actually, uh, <laughs> it's good stuff. I wish everybody could see exactly what we're looking at. What you uh, have in your apartment? Which is about nothing. University of North Carolina towel over there. Uh, there's a chair. There's a bed. Some dishes. That's about it, man. And uh, that's it, man. Well, dude. Uh, that might be why it's echoing a little bit. A little bit. We'll work some editing, and if not, we'll just chuck this whole thing and call it a day. And <laughs> we'll just be like, yeah, we drank some beers and had a good time. And, <laughs> amateur hour. Yeah, that's amateur hour. Good no, at. no big deal. So, well, dude, we're going to kick it from the beginning, man. So we talked about this. So the focus of this one is really how you got to where you are now. Which is about nowhere. Right, but you got to do some decently cool things along yeah. the way. So, not to get into crazy detail, but background, man. So, you grew up in Ohio, right? Yeah, I did. How was that? Um, it was awesome, man. You know, it was a small town, heart of it all in Ohio, just south of Cleveland. And, yep. and uh, grew up in a industrial family that, that was used to moving around. Went to school at a, at a nice Jesuit high school and got to learn to wrestle a little bit, played where, a little golf. You go to high school? Walsh Jesuit. Went to Walsh. Dude, yeah. really good wrestling program. Really I mean, good them and St. Ed's were famous back in the day, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. We, we had a we had a great battle with St. Ed's. Uh, I still keep in touch with a bunch of the St. Ed's guys today. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was it was awesome, man. We we uh, we competed on a on a at a high level and had no idea where that was going to take me. But had it not been for wrestling, I certainly wouldn't be here today. That's for sure. <laughs> so, where did wrestling take you? Yeah, so uh, went to the University of North Carolina um, on a wrestling scholarship and got to compete for for the Tar Heels for for five years um, and uh, had a blast. So five years. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little slow. Okay, so you, you need that extra year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hit math yeah. class again, <laughs> dude. Uh, <laughs> if you didn't know this, Carolina is seventy percent girls. Uh, so I did an extra lap. Let's see, yeah, after yeah, dude, a, sure, after why not, man? I take take a couple extra laps <laughs> after man. a red shirt. Freshman year, seventy percent is that real? It's for real, oh man. Oh my gosh, I should have went there. Yeah, it's, it's Jeez, not terrible. That's, that's not. Yeah, no, not at all. So then, all right, you you wrestle. What do you wrestle at? Yeah, uh, university. Well, shit. Well, wait, uh, ask well, that wait question class. again because we can cut that. Let's right? cut that. We'll edit this. We'll but edit I'm that. totally going to keep this. <laughs> what uh, what weight class did you wrestle? One thirty three. So okay. one thirty three for the first four years and one forty one for my senior year. All right. How how'd you do? I did all right. So. Um, uh, Won 125 matches as a as a collegiate and went to nationals three times. Dude, that's not bad. 
Yeah, it was good. Okay. Uh, but I still wake up at night in cold sweats because I was never an All-American. Oh, so, terrible. Yeah, awful fail. Oh, God. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, go. I'm, I'm kidding. Your mom and dad. But I'm had, not kidding. They had, like, no pictures of you on the refrigerator? Yeah, zero. <laughs> like, dude, barf sucks. Yeah, He's not yeah. an All-American. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Well, dude, so after... All right, you finished up North... What did you study in North Carolina? Uh, wrestling. And then, uh, <laughs> so girls and wrestling, yeah. 70% yeah. girls, 30% wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be worse. Uh, communications major. Okay. Have you used anything with regards to your major up until this day? No. Okay. So that it's about par for the course. Yeah. All right. Normal college stuff. Yeah. I'm a psychologist. In the I NBA. would say that, uh, thank God I got a scholarship because that would have been total waste of money. Okay. Good man, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank God. So they your needed. parents are super proud, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So then you somehow ended up getting into the Marine Corps. Yeah. How was that transition? Well, so when I was getting out of college, <clears throat> I had every desire to go into the private sector. I had essentially zero interest in serving in the military. Although my dad um, was a pilot in Vietnam, which oh, is pretty shit. sweet. Yeah. What yeah. do you fly? He was a he was an Air Force nerd. Um, flew AC 130s, the gunship. Okay. Uh, yeah, pretty That's sweet. Not bad. Yeah, pretty sweet. And uh, and then he had some time in the U2, which is pretty sweet too. Dude. Yeah. So he's, is he a qualified astronaut? Kind uh, of. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Something not really. Like that? No, not he's really. not. Not really. But, but he wore a spacesuit. Dude. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. So how did that did that change your mind? Um. Well, what's interesting about it is, I was getting out in the fall. I was interviewing for companies in the fall of 2001. Okay. So at the time, 9-11 had just happened. I'm interviewing with companies like Rubbermaid and, and others. And uh, there was a career conference at the at the Keenan Center in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I'm arcing around all the tables, and I see this this Navy guy in, in, his, in his whites, summer whites. Ah, okay. And so I go, hey, man, I just wanted to come up and thank you for your service. And he goes, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, you know, I really go, really like to go into to business. And he said, well, have you ever thought about a career in the military? And I'm like, not really. You know, my dad served and both my grandfather served in, in World War II. Everybody in my family served. Yeah, but I, I want to go in the lame, private sector. But, I, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I'm not cut from the same cloth, man. I'm, I'm just going to go over here and talk to, yeah. talk to talk these guys. And he said, well, you know, if you were to go into the military, what would you like to do? And I said, well, my dad was a pilot. I, you know, flying sounds pretty cool to me. He said, well, I can get you a pilot slot. And I, and I just started laughing. Like, hey, dude, have you seen my resume? <laughs> Communications major. Yeah. I, I got in North Carolina because <laughs> I can wrestle. Because I can wrestle. <laughs> uh, I'm not here because of how smart I am. And he, he said, hey, man, I can get you a slot. So, you know, I went away. I signed, signed my name on a couple applications and then did a deep dive and at the time it's really funny there was a a commercial on tv that that said if someone were to write a book about your life would anybody want to read it and it kind of stopped me in my tracks and i'm like holy shit man uh my grandfathers were in world war ii my dad was in vietnam and i think that's pretty damn cool yeah um, maybe I should give this a shot. And maybe nobody's going to buy my book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's guaranteed. I can, right. <laughs> I can, I can prove that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, so I, you know, hey, maybe we give this a shot. 
and uh, filled out the application. And sure enough, they they said, "Hey, here's a, a pilot slot in the Navy." I'm not sure if you know that contract. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, so went down, got accepted, went down to Pensacola. I ran out of gas on my way to Pensacola. By the way, dude, you're yeah, you're you're gonna be a success. <laughs> yeah, right. You're tracking. So I'm driving. Down. You're tracking. I'm driving down from from Hudson, Ohio, in my in my probably my. Saturn, yeah. you know. Oh God, and, a Saturn! <laughs> Stop. Yeah, story is terrible. It's oh it's gosh. awful, right? <laughs> and and next thing you know, I, I I chug along and stop on the on the highway on ninety five. Yeah, probably South Carolina somewhere. Oh, dude, I'm not gonna make it. I call my dad, and he goes, "If you ever run out of gas again, don't call me." <laughs> yeah, good dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm going to flight school. Like, I'm going to flight school. <laughs> That's how you lose your wings, right there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right, so, so you, you obviously made it through flight school. Barely. Okay. Yeah. And then what'd you select? Uh, I actually selected E2s. No shit. Yeah, man. So here's the story. So yeah, this is get uh, just above the jet grade threshold, as you know. Uh, select E2s um, and go on to prop training down in Corpus Christi. Flew the, what was it, VT-31, the... the the T thirty T forty five. T forty five. T forty five. T no, that's the jet. Yeah, T forty five is the jet, man. What the hell was it? T thirty four. No. I had already gone through T thirty four training. So what's that? No. So yes, they they either fly T C twelves. It's the multi end it's a Queen Air, not a King Air, but I, I don't know. It's a two engine multi engine airplane. This is a great story that you're going to have to edit again. I can't remember the fucking airplane. Dude. Okay, so we'll skip that part. Go to the next airplane. Yeah, so so I, I finished up that training by the skin of my teeth, obviously. Can't even remember the fucking airplane doing <laughs> back course ILSs or back course localizers or whatever the fuck we were yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a while ago. And then went down to T-45 training down in Kingsville, Texas. Okay. Were you 21 or 22? 21. Nice. The yeah. Red, Red Hawks. Red Hawks, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was a Red Hawk yeah. back in the day. Yeah, right. man. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it was right, good so, shit. Uh, so in the middle of T-45 training, this guy named Major O'Leary, Lufa, call sign Lufa, Brian O'Leary, great human, by the way. Okay. Um, pulls me aside. He's the senior Marine of the squadron. Pulls me aside and it, he said, my call sign at the time was Shoot from uh, Vision Quest. Yeah, Vision Quest. Yeah. Got it. Old school wrestling movie. If you don't know what this, go watch Vision Quest and then come back. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, so he said, hey, Shoot, step into my office, please. Well, real quick. Shoot the dude that was carrying the logs up the... That's right. Shoot, shoot was like the main... He yeah. was the, the big badass. That's right. There's a monster. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> Which yeah, I am not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is yeah. ambitious call <laughs> Little sign. Little tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um, he said, hey, shoot, step in my office. And so I do. A little bit nervous to talk to Lufa. And he said, hey, man, uh, you need to be a Marine. I said, uh, I would love to be a Marine. So um, he says, you know, we need a couple of Navy dudes to transition from the Navy into the Marine Corps. And I said, I'm your guy. And so I go through this inter-service transfer program, along with about 18 other folks, by the way. And... Uh, Get a get a slot in the Marine Corps. End up finishing. So transitioned from phase one of of T forty five advanced training uh, into phase two, 
and uh, ended up selecting Hornets. Was there any actual selection it, process other than well, yeah, change the paperwork? Sure. Yeah, so so there was a there was a application process and there was an interview process and and uh, I had to write an essay, I think. Oh shit! Yeah. The Marines made you write an essay. Yeah, it was what great. was it like? Hey, what's it, your it was, favorite color? Yeah, it was it was a crayon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. What's one plus was, one? I Seven. Was, I was. <laughs> You're our guy. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty sophisticated. Uh, I bet. I bet. Uh, Three hundred uh, words or less. Yeah. So, yeah. so it went from wearing a Navy cover to a to a Marine Corps just like cover that next day. Oh shit! Get sworn in, right? Uh, finish up training in a green cover, green skivvy T-shirt. Yeah. And uh, off to the races, and uh, finish up, get my wings, and then go back to the basic school as a winged first lieutenant. Okay. Which was a ton of fun, by the way. So you went to, it was Navy OCS, right? Yeah, Navy OCS with Marine Corps drill instructors. Sure. And Marine then hats. to flight school, swap Marine Corps. Yep. Then go back to TBS. Yep. How was TBS? It was awesome, dude. Uh, it, it was like, I was in my element. It was like, hey, I don't have to be smart. I just got to be tougher than everybody else, and I can I can hang. Yeah. Um, and it was fun, man. Get to go out and play play guns in, in the woods and shoot things. And It's pretty simple. Yeah, it's pretty it's yeah, right yeah. up my hey, alley, man. Walk here, carry yeah, this. Exactly. Look for the this. red box. I can look for the red box. <laughs> Find the red box, <laughs> dude. Yeah, it was good. So finished finished up that, um, and then went on to. Uh, where'd you get? Uh, so you did your. Where'd you do the horn rag at? One oh six. One oh six. Okay. Yeah. And then after one oh six, where'd you go? Uh, I actually went out to Miramar, so I got to be a be a snake. BMFA three twenty three. Right. Death Rattlers. The Death Rattlers. Yeah. 323. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome, man. Single seat, carrier squadron. Uh, Did you is, know you were going to a boat squadron? I desperately wanted to go to a boat squadron. Why? Um, because when I was going into the Navy, um, my dad, I said, hey, what do you think about the Navy? And he said, well, uh, the best pilots in the world are in the Navy because they land on an aircraft carrier. And... Uh, I know that to be false today. There's <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of bullshit from it's your dad. Yeah. 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 But people just you. think you're good pilots. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty right. damn easy. Really. You don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, but so I always wanted to land on a boat. I always wanted to be a boat guy. And uh, when I got to do that in a T-45, um, it was probably the only part of the syllabus that I excelled at. Okay. So and, landing. Uh, I was like, yeah, so landing. <laughs> yes. Gravity is a friend. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. I can crash like the best of Dude, them. Dude, piece of cake, man. Just bring the heat. So yeah. you, you go to 323. How's the, so your new guy showing up. Yeah. What's the, what's the, the culture of the squadron when you show up? So the cool part was uh, two of my squadron mates, Squiggy and, and uh, Dick Simmons, uh, were two of my good friends going through Kingsville. Um, so... Got to plug right in with those guys. Although literally, when I showed up, we were in workups, getting ready to go to the boat, and I was I was probably in Miramar for two weeks, maybe before we deployed. No shit. Yeah, so I I literally joined the squadron as we were doing bounces for the boat for for deployment. Not, not so. Did like, you get a chance to be a part of like Comp Two X or Airwing Fallon? No, or it was literally no. just like, hey, Barf, hey, new dude, don't crash. Come with us on deployment. Don't crash. And you'll be fine. No kidding. So I, I remember meeting with the MAG CO, Ball Stallnecker. Okay. Who, who's, a, who's a legendary Marine, by the way. Okay. Um, and 
he called me into his office and he's like, you really think that you're going to be a boat guy showing up and they're deploying? And I'm like, yes, sir, I would love to do that. And he said, well, how'd you do with the boat? I said, well, I did all right, sir. And uh, he goes, if you screw this up, I'm calling you back from deployment. Do you understand? I'm like, yes, sir. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> the fear God. of God. Oh, God. Right? No pressure. Yeah. So we deploy. We, we launch um, really. So what boat are you on? Stennis. All right. CVN 74. John C. Stennis. John C. Stennis. Okay. Yeah. I think it's, I swear to God, it's the best boat in the, in the fleet. Why? Um. I think is there because four wires? yeah, there's four wires, nice. which I like. I like win. all the chances I can four have. Four wires are good. Right? Yep, definitely. But uh, the culture on the boat was fantastic. You know, coming down after a night trap and and going to the the dirty shirts and and um, it the dirty shirts the forward wardroom. You know, so so uh, where where the pilots get to go after after uh, they fly. But it was just a great great place to be, man. I don't know. Yeah. It's clean. It was well kept. We yeah. always had fresh food. Sure. Uh, how was shower. your How was your ready room? How was the Oh, it's killer, man. How we was had, the snakes ready room? Snakes were awesome. So you're Marine Squadron on a on a Navy boat, right? You're the only Marine Squadron. Only Marine Squadron. Okay. And, and uh, the, the ready room is decked out in camo. So you walk in, especially at night. The red lights are on. The camo is like the netting is up on the wall. Uh, we always have a rollum going, which is a, obviously a movie. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah, popcorn cooking. Popcorn cooking, uh, man. A little so jalapenos what, what on the, the popcorn. Right, to, to to educate our our you know yeah. six listeners to the <laughs> podcast. Um, how does the Marine Corps culture on a boat different from the Navy culture? From your experience, that's a good question. Um, I would say we hit the gym more. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. for sure. Um, but on a serious note, I think um, we the, the great part of TAC air integration. So TAC air integration is, is the idea that, that, uh, Marines go afloat with the Navy carrier. And at times the Navy will send a squadron ashore, uh, to be expeditious. And so the integration is important because I think Marines bring this concept of the rifleman first, right? We're there to serve the guys on the ground uh, those guys are the warfighters. Uh, we are in a support role. Customer uh, service experts. It is customer service, yeah. man. I mean, that that is our role. And they are the customers. Absolutely. Um, and so certainly there is an aspect of being on a carrier that is controlling the, the airspace around the carrier. Um, but first and foremost, especially today in I- Iraq and Afghanistan, it is all about close air support. It's all about taking care of the dudes on the ground. And uh, we, we just had that customer service first attitude that, that you mentioned. Got it. So good ready room. Killer ready room, So you're room, the newest guy. Yeah. How was the welcoming aboard for barf back in the day? Oh, dude. And were you barf or what did you show up as? Uh, I showed up as shoot. Shoot, you showed up and then you graduated yep. to barf. <laughs> I sure did. Okay. So, I mean, that's, we, we got to get to that eventually. You tell me when, man, yeah, but. You've heard that story before? You know what? Here's, <laughs> this, is a, this is a good lead in. So the story I heard. Yeah. All right. So to connect the dots, barf was myself and a few other guys. He was like our mentor as a young LSO. And so barf is, he also, but you were our Boat OIC, when I went to the boat in 2010, we went to the bush. Yeah. And you were, my class advisors were Dimes. Dimes. Yeah, Dimes and right. uh, Dangle. 
Dangle. Dangle and dime. You. Both liberty risks. Yeah. And then yeah. barfs are boto IC. So we got three liberty risks yeah. leading, leading the charge. Yeah. But there was only, there's three Marines in the class. So, you know, you, you took us under your wing, you know, and helped us out. But it was, uh, we heard like, you know, barf. You know, like we were trying to figure out like, how do you get barf? You know? And I heard a rumor, and I, I don't know if it's true or not. I think it's false that you were a new guy in port call. And your Sounds senior, legit. senior captain lines up five shots of whiskey. And uh, they're like, hey, barf, go. So you go five in a row, bam, 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 five shots of whiskey. And you're trying to hold it down. And you kind of, you know, that last shot tipped you over the edge. And you, you yak like about a half a pint glass of whiskey and some other nastiness, you know, into this pint glass. And you're just holding it. And then you, you collect yourself. And you chug the pint glass of whiskey and puke, and everyone <laughs> cheers you like you're you know you're a hero. That's the story we were told. That's pretty damn close. Is that close? It's pretty damn close. All right. But the story I like to tell is that. Uh, I mean, did I elevate? Was that a better story than the actual? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really close. Okay. Actually. All right. All right. Cool. I like to tell a story that I'm half man, half dog, yeah. my own best friend. Okay. Right? That's what that's what my mom knows until now. Dude, we're until this podcast comes out. For this, dude. Your parents are going to be so proud. <laughs> yeah, so the, the story is we pull into port. So we so show up as a new guy. Um, I know two dudes, great humans, and I'm getting to know the the other guys on the boat. And and as you know, boats are dry. Right? Yeah. We, we, don't, we don't bring booze aboard boats. Right. Believe it. Sure. And... Uh, we pull into port after about 75 days and I literally, I honestly got had not had a sip of alcohol in those 75 days. We pull into port, the brow goes down 1030 and here we are with our sea bags. We're heading to, uh, to a sweet five-star hotel. I, I wish I could remember the name of it. What port were you guys at? We were in, um, fuck. We were in, uh, ba not Bahrain, but, uh, Dubai, Dubai. Okay. Fuck, Dubai. We were there five times that year. That's a good one. Yeah. We, we yeah. went pulled into Dubai and uh, La Meridian, I think, was the, the hotel that we pulled into. And we check into the hotel. We go up to our rooms. We come down to the pool. There's a hotel pool bar. And we just start hanging out. Why Music's not? flowing. Sure. Beers are drinking. And and the CAG, the carrier group commander, says, hey, guys, we'll meet you at the Irish Village in Dubai at 9 o'clock. So, you know, there we are, probably past lunch past dinner not sure if we had either of those doesn't matter sure and we're raging all of us <laughs> and we show up at the irish village and cag not senior not slappy youngberg who i think you're referring to this is a senior captain of our squad okay might have been slappy yeah slappy comes into this picture a little bit later but cag buys a round of shots for the entire air wing. nice and they're green milky shots that are lit on fire i have no idea what they were at the time but I had been talking to the bartender all night, who is who's a really cool guy from from London, and uh, and we were chit chatting, and sure enough, CAG buys a round of shots. Uh, I take it. I'm I'm not a shots guy, by the way. I take the shot. I turn around and I'm talking to Slappy Youngberg. And Slappy's about six seven, okay. <laughs> and uh, and I'm five two, and. Uh, Slappy taps me on the shoulder. He said, hey, hey, man, shots on the bar for you. And I said, I already took my shot. He goes, you're the newest guy in the air wing. Shot's yours. Shit. Yeah. So, so I grab the shot. I take it. And sure enough, I'm doing a little dry heave. Mm. 
trying to hold it in. And the bartender who I had been talking to all night hands me a pint glass and I get sick. And uh, the bar erupts in laughter. And so being the new guy, a little half cocked or yeah. fully cocked. Dude, pressure's on, man. I stand up on the bar and I hold up the pint. Nice. said, motherfuckers, this is on your conscience. And I held it down. So to you your story. Down. And I held it down oh. and keep going. Right? So there it is. So I show up the next day to play golf and CAG <laughs> is there. And get, we're in the locker room. I'm getting my shoes on. And CAG goes, hey, new guy. Here he had a hell of a night last night. And I said, yes, sir. He goes, you got a new call sign. It's bar. <laughs> Dude, that's <laughs> awesome. You got yeah, a call Sterles, sign from CAG. The Sterles Guild. Dude, that's even better than my story. Yeah. Holy uh, shit. You stood great. on the bar? That's what I'm told. It's a little, little hazy. <laughs> yeah, it's a little hazy. I do remember uh, bits and pieces of it, but yeah. Dude, that's way better than actually that. Yeah, that's way better. And then CAG directly gave you a call sign. Yeah. So it didn't even go through the call sign review. Well, it did. So, so it had the, already been vetted up to CAG. You just hadn't got the word yet. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, dude. That's pretty good. And then how yeah. long were you barf? Forever. Forever. Yeah. That's there tough it to is. beat. Yeah. You really got to do something. It's awful. Like, so, so people are like, oh, you're a fighter pilot. Oh, that's cool. What's your call sign? It's barf. <laughs> <laughs> It's not like the Air Force guys, no, you know, yeah, it's not Viper. like lightning or Viper. <laughs> yeah. or, I, I'm just yeah. badass. That's when you hit the, the button that says I'm awesome that you had on there that you showed me earlier. <laughs> this is so bad. What was the shot? Did you ever find out what it was? I have no it idea It sounds like it a was. cement mixer, but I could be wrong. I, ha- I haven't the slightest idea. But it was a bad shot. It was, well, I have no idea. <laughs> but I know it didn't work well. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a, that's a. Good segue into our next part of the podcast. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. How do you transition from that? We're probably going to cut that out, right? Uh, no, I'm staying yeah. in there. Yeah. Dude, I'm sending this to Allison. Yeah. She's going to love yeah. it. Like, that's my husband. Yeah. That's Barf. Yeah. Your parents are going to get a copy as well. Like, everyone's going to get it. Um, oh, oh. Dude, so, so that was your first cruise. First you cruise, did, You yeah. did two cruises, did two both cruises. on the sends with the snakes. Yep. And uh, how much time do you have in between cruises? About a year and a half. So, I mean, you should, by your second cruise, you're a mid-grade you know, J.O. Yeah. Okay. And your paddles. Still a young J.O., I would say, but yeah. But you had done one cruise. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, we'll get into the, like, that part, like, the paddles part later on, but uh, as a young J.O., man, like, who'd you fly with? Who'd they put you with? Uh, so, you know, I, I flew with the XO, the CO. I flew with Slappy, uh, who was our senior captain. Um, he's a Mots 1 grad. Um, Petey Bowden. Yeah, Petey. Yeah. Great American, yep, right? Yep. Another check award skipper. Top Gun grad. Yep. Uh, Mots 1 grad. Um, yeah, it was just, just a rock star group of dudes. And um, they kept me from killing myself, really. Well, that's good. That helps. Yeah. Is, uh, so did you get a chance to do some missions then? Yeah. Yeah, we uh, <clears throat> primarily over Iraq and Afghanistan. So... When I was brand new, the first mission for me was to get uh, tanker qualled. So strat tanker qualled oh, yeah. specifically, right? So uh, I hadn't done any of that during workups, and I needed to go hit the KC-135. I needed to go hit the the LL-1011 or something like that, L-1011. So your first 135 was like in country? No, it was over the boat. 
Okay. So we coordinated, hey, go. They're like, we got a new guy who's probably going to rip his probe off. Yeah. Make sure you come to the boat. (laughs) We don't want to do this on a real mission. Exactly. I was with the XO. Yeah. Air Force like, yeah, Uh, we got you. Oh, man. Yep. Uh, So did that. Got tanker qualled, quote unquote. And uh, then finally got to go in country. And uh, one of the other guys that that was really a mentor of mine early on was a guy named... um, um, Runt Walker. Runt. Runt. He he. So I just talked to him about two months ago. Yeah. Uh, just a great human, and he really took me under his wing. My first mission in country was with Runt. Okay. Daytime, pretty benign. Essentially, launch off the carrier, fly over Pakistan on the boulevard, head into Afghanistan. And you're flying X cast over 86 Charlie hotel or something like that. Right. Sure. So, uh, nothing going on that day. Cavu skies come back land. And the next day I'm on the schedule with, uh, my skipper fish pescator. And we launch on this night mission. <clears throat> and at the time there was no ability to yo-yo for, for, for new guys, for nuggets. Right. So, uh, fish, says, hey, we, we get into a, a situation um, in the northeast portion of Afghanistan, right at the Khyber Pass, mm-hmm. if you remember. Yep. And uh, we come into a troops in contact scenario, and we're fairly low on gas, and we, we're trying to get eyes on the target and uh, eyes on friendlies and try to get situational awareness. And uh, we get to, we hit our bingo state, <clears throat> and they need some help. Pretty, pretty the guys on quickly. the ground. Yep. And so fish, we hit bingo. Fish goes, hey, Barf, you need to, you need to yo-yo. And uh, I'm like, oh, my God. So I, I immediately turn east. Excuse me, I turn west and, and head into the middle of Afghanistan. <laughs> and I'm climbing to the altitude I'm supposed to be at, and I'm scrambling to find my kneeboard card that I had I think I had written down tanker information during the brief, but was relying on my skipper to, to lead me there. Sure. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I am in the middle of Afghanistan as a 24-year-old kid, first night mission in country. I've got to go find a tanker 250 miles away. And uh, thank God, by you know, grace of God, I, I lock up the tanker. I, somehow join on them and find a brick song. and like yeah. start Holy saying shit. prayers yeah. yeah please god tell <laughs> me that tanker. that is a yeah. tank i don't care if it's my tank yeah, yeah just be a tanker something with gasoline right yeah so I, I i hit it i get gas and i'm coming off and switch radio freaks and i catch up with fish and fish is coming to get gas he's way low on gas and he goes hey barf uh they're in extremists i went i just went winchester they've taken kia they need help do not do anything until I get back on station. Copy that, sir. So I head back overhead, and I check in with the the, the JTAC or the FAC. And uh, he says, hey, man, I need I need munitions right now. What do you have? And I give him my loadout. I think I had one JBD. I had one LGB. I had uh, full rounds of 20 millimeter. And uh, he said, hey, man, I need your JDAM right now on this coordinate. And I said, hey, dude, I... I'm in. I just got to wait for my lead to get back from the tanker. And he goes, dude, I need it now. And I said, I can't give it to you until he gets back. And he goes, hey, hey, dude, you need to get out of here. I need to bring artillery in if you're not willing to give it. And I said, give me the grid coordinates. So he does. 
and he gives me, I'm just going to make some grid coordinates up. He said, hey, I need it on 4650. And I'm like, uh, hey, man, I need 10-digit grids. And he goes, 4600050000. I'm like, holy shit. Okay. So I punch it into my system, and I start heading outbound 10 miles, and I roll back in, and I'm, I'm like doing my verification. I'm getting ready to, to, to do this and fish checks in and he goes, Hey Barf, what's happening, man? And I go, Hey fish, I'm 10 miles inbound. And, uh, he's asked me to drop a JDAM. I need to do it. They're in extremis. And he said, okay, give me the grid coordinates. And I give it to him and he goes, no, 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 that's not 10 digit grids. <laughs> so he checks in with the JTAC, yeah. same, same story. Yeah. JTAC. And finally fish does some really quick math and he goes, okay, go ahead. And I'm like, I'm like at the yeah, Wes, yeah, yeah, like yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. Bomb comes off, and you know, boom. Yep. Wing lifts up, bomb comes off, and I'm going, oh my God, 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 oh my God. Shack! Good hits, good hits, good hits. Oh, I'm like, dude. oh my God. Right? Greatest feeling on earth. Isn't it? Right? I mean, the, the most like empty feeling in your stomach. Like you just had 17 heart attacks yeah, and now you're going to live. Right. Yeah. And you just, you just want to like, yep. Oh man, it was, it was fantastic. So I roll around LGB, lay down, do a, do a pass on 20 millimeter. Oh shit. And, uh, and we head out and, uh, anyway, it was, it was, it was a good night, Yeah, but crazy, crazy story, right? First night in country as a 24 year old kid. How was the, how was the debrief? Oh, dude, the debrief was crazy. Um, so we get back to the boat, and and things were were happening from time to time, but not enough where it was standard, right? So you come back to Civic, which is the carrier intel center, and uh, you have to demonstrate the fact that you validated the the weapons drops. And so I'm going through that process with the intel bubbas, and uh, CAG walks in. Sterles Gillum, the guy who gave me the call sign. Yeah, yeah. He, right? made you, he made you barf. Yeah, yeah, he exactly. made you barf. Yeah, exactly. So he said, hey, tell me what happened. And we're, I'm showing him the videos. And Intel guys come back after some plotting. And they're like, hey, uh, your JDAM, where do you think that landed? What kind of question is that, dick? Yeah, right? Yeah, thanks, Intel. Yeah, so... You know, we, we get out a map and, yeah. oh, shit, that's uh, right on the border. Oh. You know, we had, to be, we had to be west of the border by five miles at the time. And so we're like, which that's border right. is this? Yeah, this is the Pakistani border. This is the eastern border of Af- Afghanistan, the Khyber Pass. Sure. Right. So with Ish. Pakistan. Ish. Ish. Yeah. Sure. And um, we look at another map, bring out, a, ooh, shit, that's close. Bring out another map. Ooh, that's close. Bring out another map, and that like we're that that's solidly in Afghanistan. All right, we're good. <laughs> you know, I mean, the borders there are, you know, they're they're different. Sure, it's, it's depends not, on the map you buy. It, this is not Georgia, yeah. South Carolina border yeah. here. Uh, it's not not as clear cut. Okay. But yeah, it was crazy. We might have to cut that section. But nah, anyway. we're, yeah. good, <laughs> we're good. Nothing. Yeah. We're, we're good. All yeah. right. So last. So so. This this uh, this mission, all yeah. right, man. It's pretty high stress, right? Oh man. So your your lead, who's your and CEO, says don't do anything. JTEC yeah. says I need you 
I mean, I, I think he made the right call, but dude, what's going through your head? Yeah. When, when you got your CEO telling you one thing, JTEC saying, Hey man, I, I need your bombs. Well, so I think there's a, there's a, there's a Delta between policy and loss of life. Right. I mean, yeah. we, we have a policy that was dictated by the skipper and by the CAG uh, to say arbitrarily that, that nuggets aren't to yo-yo tank, right? And then in real time and, and making a good decision, the skipper says, hey, Barf, don't drop till I get back. Okay, I won't. Um, but when you get online with a JTAC who's probably 22 years old, right, and he has brothers who have been killed in action, and he's begging you, and you can hear it in his voice, man. I mean, it's not like, it's not like something that you've heard before, right? You, you just hear it in the voice. You know he needs you bad, um, and you make a real-time decision. And um, I had been trained. Uh, I knew my switchology. I knew how to validate the weapon. I knew, I knew where the friendlies were. I knew grossly where the enemy was. I knew that we were laying down um, munitions on an opposite facing slope away from the friendlies. Uh, I had good situational awareness and I needed to help them break contact so that they could live another day. That to me was worth going to mast for, right? I mean, that that's in real time. That's a much easier decision than sure. it is sitting in the, in the, in you the heart room when you're getting, yeah, and right? you're like, Holy shit, man. Yeah. I would much yeah. rather make that decision and face the consequences than face the consequences of not making that decision totally. and dealing with it for the rest of Absolutely. my life, knowing that my brothers didn't live another yeah. day. Yeah. So, Totally. Yeah. Awesome, man. So, yeah. uh, so when you guys get back from that, the rest of the deployment, was there any other missions you flew that were that nothing, dynamic? Nothing like that. We we had some other opportunities to uh, take care of our brothers, but um, nothing for me quite like that. Slappy Youngberg had a, had an incredible night. Um, that uh, you know, if you get a guy on on this podcast, he would be a great great dude Slappy. to talk to. Okay. Slappy. Yeah. yeah. He had a he had a, a crazy night in, in Sanguine Valley, uh, danger close situation where he was, um, he was pretty damn heroic. No shit. Yeah, yeah. You should talk to him about it. All right. Well, let's uh, we'll make a plug for that. For, yeah. For next time. Slabby. 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 You're tagged you in out. for the next one, bro. You've been called out <laughs> on the Ready Room podcast. Uh, awesome. Cool. So let, let's let's move on from that. Uh, that cruise. So you get back from cruise and you, you got to be an LSO on this and we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about it in a separate one, but on this cruise specifically for you guys, man. So, um, first one, you're a new guy. Yeah. You do workups, you go into the second one. Yeah. What's your role in the squadron as a, for the second cruise? Yeah. So I was still, I was still the newest second cruise guy. Right. So, so it's a lot of the same, same, same cadre guys. Slappy had, had moved on. I think Slappy. Yes. Oh, shit. I think Slappy had moved on. Petey had definitely moved on. Okay. Um, uh, Runt had moved on. We had a couple of new older guys. Anybody in particular? Yeah, we had a guy named uh, BG Berkey. <laughs> what was his call sign? <laughs> BG. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so... For the record, everybody, his call sign is Big Gay Berkey, and he's a great American. He's a great American. Um, we just tried to call him... Great American, uh, another Mots One grad, um, another guy who really took me under his wing, 
but uh, still, still very much a new guy, new section lead, and uh, understand operations around the boat, but very much still uh, learning the ropes, as you as you know. Okay, so on this cruise, you guys go to Dubai. Any other interesting port calls on the second cruise? Uh, the first cruise. We're back to the first cruise. Let's go with uh, whichever cruise has, has <laughs> yeah, better port yeah. calls. The second cruise definitely had better. Let's port go with calls. second cruise. Yeah. Then. So yeah. tell us some port call stories from the second cruise. Well, if, you know, if, if they're not too cloudy. Yeah. Well, they're pretty damn cloudy. Okay. Um, but we pulled into Singapore. We pulled into Hawaii. We pulled into Sasebo, Japan and Hong Kong and Busan, South Korea and Patty and Beach, Thailand. Yep. Thailand. Yeah, we sure <laughs> did. Um, and just, had a fantastic time. I mean, one, one of the fun stories that uh, can be told is, you know, you pull into port, especially in Patia Beach, and you roll in, you hit your hotels, and then after after some partying at the hotel, you get ready to go out in town. And we the, the method of transportation in town was a tuk-tuk. Tuk-tuk. Right? Describe a tuk-tuk so for a tuk- our <laughs> studio audience. Yeah, so a tuk-tuk is just a, 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 a pedaled bike that has a carriage behind it right? Two wheeled carriage and you jump in the back of it and you, you give the, the tuk tuk driver a couple of bot, um, which is the tie uh, the, the, uh, Thai currency. And you say, Hey man, we're, we're heading to this bar. Well, what we would do is there would be, you know, two tuk tuks and we would have tuk tuk races. So I would jump in one tuk tuk squiggy and, and, uh, and Dick would jump into another tuk tuk and, you jump in and you'd say, hey, hey, brother, if you get me to this bar before that tuk-tuk, I'll give you an extra seven bot, which was... Like a dollar? No. Well, to them, it was it was a lot of money, man. Yeah, yeah. And sure enough, you'd be... They'd be <laughs> hauling ass. They'd be hauling Oh, ass. you're killing these hauling, guys. Hauling ass and getting, getting to the bar first. Whoever doesn't get to the bar first goes around drinks. Okay. That's good to know. Um, so good port calls. Great port Tuck, calls, tuck races. Yeah. All right. But the second cruise was nothing like the first cruise. It was uh, it was very much a port call cruise, not a combat cruise. So we did a Westpac. Ah, I see. We were, we were doing Straits of Taiwan scenario, that kind of thing. Okay, so that's a lot. Like Singapore's a really good time. Did you guys get the Philippines at all, Manila? No, we were supposed to. We didn't uh, due to some terrorism issues. Damn terrorists. Yep. Uh, Never I, liked those guys. No, they're not cool. Not at all. All right. So when you're, you're are you waving on your second cruise? Yeah. Did yeah. you wave on your first cruise? I at did. Yeah. So you were super junior waiver paddles first cruise. Yeah. The only thing I was good at. Okay. So, good. Good. Yeah. And then uh, you're flying old school manual. None of this, you know, magic carpet stuff they have now. That's right. So you're actually flying an airplane. Yeah, so that's right. Nicely done. I got to call out my my super hornet bros. Yeah. They're magic carpet now. Um. And then. Are you squadron paddles on your second cruise? Yeah. So, uh, and then earned the wing command or wing wing qual, qual at okay. the end of, end of that second cruise, which was really cool. So when you get back from that second cruise, your orders are almost up, right? That's right. So yep. what, what happens then? So then I got, uh, shipped off to EWS in Quantico. So career level school. So you were in the top 17% of the Marine Corps at the time, Barf. Yeah. Congratulations. Probably not. (laughs) I think that is. uh, I I was told that the top 17% go to resident EWS. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, there were some uh, bottom feeders. Okay. I was one of them. (laughs) Yeah. And then from EWS, what happens? 
uh, from there, I went down to 106 as a as a rag instructor and, and got to be an LSO school instructor too. Which okay, how was really that? Cool, it was killer, man. You know, teaching guys how to land on the boat and teaching the teachers. So uh, LSOs would come and learn how to be a better LSO. Um, it was just uh, it was really cool. There, there's something special about being an LSO. I know you know all about it. You yeah, got to dude, you got so to fun. come through the training and dude, it, it's a culture within its own and. Uh, Again, without getting into too much detail, we'll talk about that one on the uh, on the LSO Culture Paddles podcast here with Barf again next time. But I want to get into uh, so what you did after the Marine Corps. So eventually, you decided like, "Hey, man, I'm good." Yeah, like you, yeah, you got married. Yep, family had a little dude. Priorities had your first little dude. Yep, and it's like, "Hey, man, let's try something different." So, what was the that decision like? What made you want to get? Yeah, out? it was a really tough decision actually because um, you know we were talking about getting pulled back to Buford, South Carolina to be with great, great dudes. Um, go be a department head in a, in a fighter squad. And it's, that's a pretty big honor and, and something cool to go do. But, uh, at the time my firstborn was six months old or so. And, and, uh, uh, you know, we're thinking about, Hey man, we're going back to see, uh, I'll miss the first grade. You know, you, you it's not like you, you, in the business world, you're away for two weeks and you come home and, and they look the same. They feel the same. You didn't miss much, but, uh, man, deploying is something different. And, and I, a shout out to the guys who, who have done this for a career and, uh, to most, maybe more importantly to the wives who stay home and, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're, uh, keeping the, keeping the household alive and well, while we go off and, and, and fight the good fight and, yeah, it's just a tough scenario, man. So, yeah. you know, we, we decided I, I never really had the intention of going to the military to begin with. It was really uh, something that I felt called to do because of 9-11. And uh, so when the time came, transitioning to the private sector was something that I was excited about and, and wanted to go venture into. So um, started to you know, put feelers out and I had an interest in going back to, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where the roots of my family were. Mm-hmm. My parents had since uh, relocated back to Western Pennsylvania. And, um, yeah, took a look at a couple of great companies in the area. And, 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 and the biggest thing for me was, uh, I interviewed with a bunch of different industries, um, different companies. And with a company that I'm at now, I, had someone who was in a leadership position, who was in part of the interview process, really the decision maker who made it obvious his interest in mentoring people coming from the military. So he had spent 13 years as a SWO uh, in the Navy uh, and had a, a wonderful career, frankly. And, and uh, uh, he had gotten out, came to work for this company and he demonstrated an interest in making sure that the transition for me from mid-grade officer to private industry was successful. So he had a plan. He articulated it. Hey, we're going to send you to school to learn uh, the idea and the concepts behind lean manufacturing, which is something I'm pretty passionate about. Um, got to go run part of the operations out at his business unit. I got to go dip my toes into sales and then pretty early on, he gave me a, a, a and actually a, a, another one of my mentors gave me an opportunity to go uh, run a very small business 
um, out in Boston, Massachusetts, that was heavily a defense manufacturing company and got to do some really cool stuff, man. Like, okay. for example, uh, that company, we were making the, the rocket motor cases for the Stinger uh, Stinger missile that oh. that was yeah. a threat to us in Afghanistan. Sure, back in the day. Yeah, right? Yeah, I remember. So yeah. it comes full circle, man. Okay. So, yeah. so you got out. How many years did you do in the Marine Corps before you got out? Uh, I was in the Marine Corps for 11 years. Well, I should say military service for 11 years. Okay. Um, Marine Corps for whatever 10 the best part of it yeah, yeah. best okay. best 10 yeah. so transitioning into the civilian sector did you show up feeling prepared i felt confident probably uh overly so right i probably shouldn't been shouldn't have been as confident as i was but you know uh, i was confident that the leadership and management experience that we were lucky enough to experience as young marines uh would win the day and I was I I was very much aware of the gaps that I had with respect to finance and business, uh, certainly manufacturing and engineering. I, I had little to no understanding of, so I came in with confidence in my ability to lead and manage people, uh, but a heavy interest in learning and understanding business and manufacturing and engineering, and um, I think that paid dividends. You know, mm-hmm. kind of hat in hand willing to learn, uh, interested, uh, willing to put in the hours. It was, I think it was beneficial. So some blue collar work ethic. Hell yeah, man. All right. And you know, the coolest thing about, uh, about the Marine Corps and, and one of the things that I, I take with me today, when you're out on the flight deck and you're taxiing around the aircraft carrier, you have young kids from all backgrounds on the deck around you, getting you ready and prepped to go fly, right? And those guys, if they know you and they like you, uh, they'll walk on hot coals to get you airborne. You know, you're troubleshooting and you see them sprinting across the flight deck to, to plug in and, and make sure you go fly. Uh, you understand the value of relationships as a young captain or as a young first lieutenant. Um, and that holds true in manufacturing or the business world you know, you're sitting around with union guys, steel workers. Uh, you demonstrate your willingness to listen and to to break bread with those guys and and to build relationships and trust. Same thing is true, man. They they, they might be a little skeptical of you at first. You know, yeah, yeah. Who's this weird guy? Who is this yeah. dude? Stay. Why are you touching me, man? Get <laughs> yeah, out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> but uh, you put in enough time, you 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 hear enough stories, you make fun of yourself enough, and they realize you're a good dude and. Okay, so from from getting out of the Marine Corps to where you are now, yeah, some pretty epic changes. You've done some pretty gnarly stuff. Yeah, so victim of circumstance, man. A little bit of luck. A lot of luck. A little bit of luck. A lot of luck. So somewhere along the line, uh, you got a chance to work at the White House. I did. Bananas. So getting from what was your what did you do before that? So let's back up to before that. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I mentioned that I had taken a job with the company I'm with today and learned manufacturing and sales and then went to run a small business unit, really a, a plant um, in Boston, Massachusetts, making defense stuff. And, and uh, out of the blue, 2016, the President Trump wins the election. And uh, a, a colleague of mine who I interviewed with as I was getting out of the Marine Corps uh, reaches out and says, says, hey, man, do you have any friends with uh, military experience and private industry success? 
And um, I said, yeah, man, yeah, sure. He goes, well, the president would like, you know, some, some of those resumes, if you don't mind, if they're interested to go work for the president, we'd love to have them. So I sent them eight resumes, none of which were mine, so by the eight way. Other eight other resumes. Eight other resumes. Because I was... I'm not getting this I job. was like neck deep. Yeah, yeah, I had no business. There's no way I should be hired <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Eight resumes that were much better than mine. Got it. Um, and... And he calls me back. He goes, no, you idiot. Send me your resume. <laughs> so I, I <laughs> no. go, I go, I go home to, to my, my beautiful wife and I say, Hey, this just happened. What do you think? And she goes, I don't know. It's, uh, that's heavy. Uh, sounds too. Well, good. hang on. So you're skipping the details. So you sent in your resume. No, I haven't yet. So I'm just talking to her about, about sending in your resume. Yeah. Cause I was, but no, you're, you're you got some tracking, experience. Man. You got some experience. You went to Harvard business school, right? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. So you're still just a Marine Corps fighter pilot. I'm just a knuckle, knuckle dragger man. <laughs> just a meat scar head. tissue. Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. I love it. I, I had love no, it. I had no business. So what? It, so doing that. And then I still asked, have no business. They asked for your resume. Yeah. So so talk to Allison. Hey, you have any interest in doing this? Yeah, I guess so. So send in my resume. Next thing I know, I'm taking the the Acela from Boston down to New York to Trump Tower to interview uh, for this process. And I I really honestly I didn't know what the interview is necessarily for uh, other than to go into the, into the administration in some capacity. I had some, I, I had demonstrated some interest in the state department or DOD or VA or something, but um, so end up interviewing with a panel of folks and uh, about a week and a half later, I get a phone call saying, Hey, um, you know, the, the president would like you to be the senior white house advisor for secretary mattis he wasn't secretary at the time he was um i can't remember he'd been nominated he had been nominated process sure he was the nominee so uh i was like holy cow how do you how do you digest that how do you how do you pass that up and um well so how did you digest it i mean what are you doing what what yeah, so it's it's interesting. It's a little bit complicated, actually. At the time, I was in the process of moving my family from Boston to Milwaukee, actually, to, right. to go take on more responsibility with with uh, the company I'm with today. And and um, I had made some commitments, right? And and so you get this this offer from the president of the United States, regardless of who it is, and uh, as as someone who feels compelled to serve their country, it's uh, it's heavy. You have, you have someone like General Mattis, who is the nominee to be the Secretary of Defense that you're going to be interacting with, and it's, it's just something that you have to take seriously. And so, um, frankly, I uh, made the really hard decision to go to go jump in with both feet, knowing full well that I had no business to, <laughs> doing it. You're like, man, right? I, I like, slipped well, through like, the cracks. Like, These guys have me? no idea what yeah, they're getting. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, dude. Well, you know. When that's what happens when someone wins an election that doesn't have DC experience, right? I mean, which is which is a liability and an asset for the president, right? And not to get into politics at all, and I won't I won't touch it. Um, but he really didn't have the DC depth that that a normal candidate would have. So he's re, I mean he's reaching into his network to find folks that are going to come come do this. And and I it was absolute happenstance that. That I had okay, but also, also, you got through the interview process. Yeah. So the panel that you met with, you know, I, when when I was at VT twenty one as a Redbird, uh, we had an admiral come through to speak to the young JOs, and he says, 
I am an admiral today because of a strong attendance and a weak peer group. And I think that's what... <laughs> is that you? <laughs> that's me. Yeah. I mean, who else is interviewing for the job, really? I don't know. Who yeah. was? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's my but point. You, probably I nobody. Think I think I was the only one. I think you might have been, but let's pretend like there was like one other guy. <laughs> yeah, probably So not. you had a 50-50 chance, yeah, exactly. and you just happened to be like, I don't know, maybe you were better looking or something, and Hardly. one of the girls in the panel were like, this that, guy's... This is not a video interview. This guy's so. less ugly than the other yeah. guy, so we're going to hire him. Yeah. But the panel interview, the actual questions they asked you, was yeah. there anything that, aside from like, hey, where are you from? What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. Like an intriguing, decisive question that made you think that they were looking for a specific character trait that may actually apply to the job itself. Vice, hey, we got Barf and his lucky resume, and he's getting yeah. you know him and it's either him or the other guy. Well, you can imagine that that um, walking into an interview in Trump Tower in front of a panel of folks that that were advising the president on who he's going to bring into the uh, administration was. Uh, a little bit of an out of body experience, like, as you might as you might did imagine. You at least get a beer before. Yeah, no, no, I should have. <laughs> uh, um, but so I don't remember all of the questions, frankly. But I, I would say the general theme was, "Hey, tell me about your thoughts on foreign policy. Tell me about how you think about uh, national defense." They were gross strategic questions that, frankly, I had no business answering. But, um, but you uh, had to. But I had to. You, you know, did, I you, you know as, as as somebody who's interested and and uh, um, somewhat well read, uh, I I gave him my novice thoughts and you know demonstrated. I, I think maybe one of the things that was important to the panel was the idea that. Uh, the most important thing to me was taking care of people. So I was going to, you know, in this particular role, I was going in and I was going to have 40 or so political appointees that reported to me in the, in the Pentagon. Right. And making sure that, that you're taking care of, of that group of people um, who, oh, by the way, way, their resumes were yeah, they're way overqualified, way overqualified <laughs> relative to mine. I mean, uh, some of these folks were amazing, amazing people. So the idea of me taking care of them is hilarious in retrospect. But, <laughs> but just communicating uh, the importance of building a team, I think, uh, resonated with them. Okay. But the reality is, I have no idea. Okay, that's fair. So you passed. Yeah. yeah. You got by. I guess, I guess so. So the other guy Or did. they had no other the choice. The other guy didn't make it. <laughs> or there was no other. We're, we're going to go with at else. least there was one other guy. <laughs> yeah, so it was yeah. a 50-50 yeah. chance. I don't think so. All right, so they, uh, you get the call. Yeah. Hey, man, you want the job. Yep. What are you doing when you get the call? And what's the conversation with Allison like? Uh, it was, it was. Um, because you were prepared for this potentially. I mean, obviously it's a long shot. Yeah, it was a long shot and and it was um it was quick. So it you know, we had a newborn baby at the time and actually two. We had, we had our second son okay. in, in our, during that time. Um so we had a logistical decision to make. Do we do we want to move the family from hey, we're in the process of moving to Milwaukee. Do we want to stop that process and move to DC instead? Okay, well, let's entertain that. The really cool part of this story is uh, my childhood best friend, um, who I'll leave his name out for now, yeah. uh, was 
the chief speech writer for, for General Mattis when General Mattis was at CENTCOM. Right, and he was he was the chief speechwriter for Petraeus before Mattis, then for Mattis, and then became a civilian and was a speechwriter for Secretary Panetta. This is your childhood best my friend. My ch- childhood best friend. I'm, when I say that, I mean we were inseparable from the time we were in third grade until okay. we graduated high school, and still it. are today. He is the godfather of my firstborn, and I am the godfather of his firstborn. Okay. We're both in each other's weddings. Cool. This, this is a brother, right? Got it. And uh, he was working for a great company in D.C. after being Petraeus, uh, excuse me, um, Panetta's speechwriter. And Mattis looked him up, found him, and said, hey, Justin, I could use your help with the confirmation process to get him through the Senate. And so, you know, he's working with the secretary, you know, the, uh, the nominee to to help him prepare for the Senate. And uh, I think it was Christmas, maybe Christmas Eve. I was with my in-laws down in Kilmarnock, Virginia. And Justin calls, and I look at the phone, and I hang it up because I'm at a family dinner, and he texts. Sure, hang up on him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, he texts, and I silence it, and he calls again, and I'm like, uh-oh, something's going on. So mm-hmm. I, I step away from the table, I pick up the phone, and... He says, hey, dude, I'm sitting with the secretary, and he has a list of political appointees coming into the Defense Department, and your name's at the top of it. What the hell's going on? <laughs> and the, the Secretary Mattis, Defense, or, uh, General Mattis says, hey, he ta- he's talking to the, the three guys in the room. He says, anybody know any of these names on this list? And Justin goes, you'll never believe this, but that guy's the be- my best friend in the whole wide world. No shit. Yeah, so then... Listen to this. So then Justin gets pulled into uh, the administration with Secretary Mattis as the director of strategic communication. I'm the senior <laughs> White House advisor for Secretary Mattis. And our offices were right next to each other. We could bang on the wall and be like, hey, dude, I need your help. What's up, man? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Two knuckleheads, man. They grew up in not <laughs> They have no Ohio. idea who's no in charge idea. here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was just bananas. If they only knew. Exactly. Oh, if they only so, knew. Holy shit, you're kidding me. No, it's he's a like, true story. He, he know anyone on this list? Yeah. He's like, I know that, that guy. That kid and I hung out in third grade. Yeah. He's my bro. Yeah. He's an idiot. Yeah, but he's, he's a really- good, He's a good guy. You can trust him. <laughs> <laughs> this dude's a liberty risk. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. He'll be good at the White House. Exactly. He'll be fine. He has no business being here, but. <laughs> Don't hey, call him. Yeah. Don't call him. Yeah. So then what, man? I mean, they call him. Yeah, so then, so then I spent. 10 or 11 months with the secretary. All right. So what did you do? What was, what was the role? So the, the sec, senior White House advisor. So that w- it was actually a new role that uh, was created by the Trump administration. Um, and the intent of the role was to help guide the political appointees into uh, the executive branch agency uh, up until the point of Senate confirmation, right? So you have, uh, as you can imagine, Pentagon is, let's just say, 50% uniform service members. Then you have maybe a third of the employees are uh, civilian that are career employees. And then you have a small percentage, but not insignificant at all, who are political appointees that come in for each administration, right? So the day that the inauguration happens, let's just say 20% of 
the DOD just leaves, right? So day one, you have what's called the beachhead team, or we called it the beachhead team, comes into the into the building and and starts to listen and learn and understand the lay of the landscape. Um, and I was really in in the position of helping to facilitate what was happening between the other executive branch agencies and DOD. So for example, if Department of Energy needed something from DOD, the senior White House advisor from Department of Energy would reach out to me and said, hey man, I, I need your help with something and I'd figure out who in the department was the right person to go, go attack the problem. So uh, I had that as a part of my, my portfolio. It just so happened that the, the early days of the administration, uh, the president was very interested in trade policy um, I had some manufacturing experience, very limited, obviously, um, but I got pegged with helping out with 232 uh, legislation, which was the steel and aluminum tariff situation, which um, required the Secretary of Commerce to consult with the Secretary of Defense on the national threat, national security threat determination of potential steel and aluminum dumping into the U.S. Uh, so that was a lot of my time. And then... Um, Manufacturing and industrial-based policy um, was was a heavy part of my responsibility. But frankly, a, a bunch of my time was simply communicating to the White House communications team about anything that was happening in the Pentagon that um, might make the news or that the Hill might be interested in to make sure that the White House knew what was happening before it hit the press, right? So a lot of communication with the secretary, um, of communication with the White House. Okay, so before we get into that, okay, so you were the conduit between the Pentagon and the White House, right? Es essentially, yeah. And specifically the Secretary of Defense. That's right. All right, so you're a people person. Yeah. So what would you say you do here? What Mark? would you say <laughs> you do here? Why do we need you? I'm a people person. Why don't I call him directly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, like, there's a really funny story, Susan. You'll love this. Yeah. So I'm in. God, I can't. I can't. Ex I can't remember exactly the scenario, but I'm in a small group with the secretary. I think in his office, and uh, I don't know, four or five of us are are talking after a stand up meeting, and somebody says, "Hey, hey, Brad, tell me exact. Tell me your role again." And I said, I, I'm the senior White House advisor. And Mattis, <laughs> Secretary Mattis goes, hey, Brad, wouldn't you say that I'm the senior White House advisor? <laughs> You're like, You're like uh, uh, absolutely, sir. <laughs> yes, yes. Why don't you just take it from here? Uh, yeah. I'll that shut is, up now. That is absolutely <laughs> true. Like, I am, first of all, sir, uh, I have absolutely no business being here. <laughs> We've established. We've, <laughs> we've established that uh, <laughs> since I'm here. How can I help? See, would you bring coffee at least? <laughs> <Yeah>. or something? <laughs> secretary yeah. to the secretary, yeah, exactly. Jeremy, uh, 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 would you like some more coffee? Yeah, got it. Uh, that's funny. So um, funny because it's true. Right, so when uh, when there was something for you to do, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. as the conduit between the Secretary of Defense and the White House. Yeah. Uh, what did you do? Well, I mean, it depended on the scenario. Okay. It was, 
Frankly, was there any that stuck out, like something that like memorable? Because how, what was how long were you actually in your in that role? Yeah, about ten months. Okay. Yeah. So and frankly, it was a dead sprint for ten months. So it was, you know, you're showing up at at six thirty. You're preparing for the boss to show up. You're preparing for the 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 morning stand up with him. Uh, what does his day look like? Uh, what does he need to know? What happened overnight that that he needs to be aware of? Um, then you have the stand up and then, then it's a dead sprint. It's, it's contacting whomever in the white house needs to know about something that's happening in the Pentagon. What, what issue came up overnight in a, in a cross-functional agency, like a DOE sure. or whatever. Yep. Um, with respect to specifics, you know, there, there were some things that stuck out like, um, jumping in, a, a car with the DEPSEC DEF, so the Deputy Secretary of Defense. Um, we we were on the way to go brief the president on two thirty two, and we got caught up in a in a meeting, and and we were just a little bit behind timeline. We were we were fine, uh, but we jumped into his black car, two two of them, and. Uh, I jump in and I'm sitting next to him and it's, it's a up armored escalate or something. And you, you, you physically feel like you're sitting up high, right? You feel like it's a little bit awkward and we head out and, and we start heading over to the bridge towards the white house. And all of a sudden the traffic absolutely stops and it, becomes apparent that we're not going to make it to the president on time. Like, and that's the worst scenario in the world. Like oh. you're going to brief the president of the United States and you're behind timeline. Sure. And the traffic's not moving. Okay. That's an oh shit scenario. Right. And so what's your contingency plan? Yes. Yeah, the contingency plan is to turn the lights on in the black car. Right. And these dudes start weaving through traffic. Like I was uncomfortable and 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 it was obvious. So I, I I start to like grab my oh shit the oh shit handle and and the, and the seat. Yeah. And Depsec Def looks over at me and he goes, "I thought you were a fighter pilot." Man. Oh no! <laughs> oh, just called you out. He did, man. Oh. It was it was oh. hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, fine, I'm man. Fine. I just need my ocean yeah, handles. Yeah, yeah. No. it's, it's, here's the deal. Uh, I'm used to driving. <laughs> oh. and he, what, what did he do? What was his background? He was chill. Oh, I don't know. He's I, not I a fighter remember. pilot. I, no, I can't. He was a Marine. Was he? Okay. Yeah. But, um. Oh, good. Talking I, some shit. Yeah, he was. Oh, dude. Yeah. I thought you were a fighter pilot. I am. I am. I, yeah. yeah. I just I'm need fine. my seatbelt. I'm fine. I just need my seatbelt on. I need my. So uh, what did uh when you say they turn the lights on? Do they have like cop lights? Yeah. They, so they turn the cop lights on. Yeah. To make it look like they're cops. Yeah. So you would never know they had cop lights. Okay. You know, like when you're looking at it, it's it's your standard black car. Yeah. Right. But it was it was pretty tricked out. So you made it on time. Oh yeah. Oh nice, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dude, I thought yeah. you were a fighter pilot. Yeah. I thought you were a fighter pilot. Man, what's wrong? So that. <laughs> how often did you get a chance to or or need to brief the president? Um, not often. So I, I got the chance. So the first time I met him was in the Oval Office. Um, I had helped out with an executive order on, um, the, def the, the health 
of the defense industrial base. So essentially the president signed a, an order saying, hey, we're going to do a deep dive study on uh, how the defense industrial base is doing. And as a part of that, I got invited to the Oval Office for the signing. And it was a small group. It was probably four or five of us in the in the Oval Office. And I'm standing next to the president. <laughs> this is pretty funny. Standing next to the president as he's getting ready. He's sitting down at his desk famous picture you know if you're looking at that picture i'm to his left and he looks up at me and he and he goes he goes you were a wrestler and i said uh yes sir i was why would you ask and he goes those ears because <laughs> you're all jacked you have those wrestling ears <laughs> and and i said yes sir i do he said uh he said were you any good and i said yes sir i could i could hold my own and uh he said i bet you were good he goes, uh, you know, I would have been a great wrestler. I, I never wrestled, but I would have been a great wrestler had I wrestled. Mm. And he goes, you know why? I go, no, sir, why? He goes, because I'm tough. <laughs> and you got to be tough to be a wrestler. I, I'll bet you're tough, aren't you? I'm like, yes, sir, I guess so. He goes, have you ever heard a guy named Dan Gable? And I said, yes, sir, of course. And uh, he said, you know, Dan's a big fan of mine. He won me Iowa. No kidding, sir. That's great. <laughs> first time I met it's first good, time I met good conversation yeah. man you got like, hey, hey, he checked out your ears like, yeah it's like hey, one of those situations like I can't believe I'm doing this right now nice ears bro I can't believe I'm like I have no business being here right now right I can't believe this conversation is actually happening <laughs> but if I was going to have a conversation this is exactly Dude, how I think it would go let's go with wrestling yeah. <laughs> like, he yeah. saw my ears yeah. he knows Dan Gable yeah. we want Iowa now we're here I mean yeah. holy cow here we are and then yeah, how, so, so there, you know, there were a handful of times I, I got to interact, um, none of which were any other uh, good ear conversations. Yeah, or, no, that was no. the top. That was the best one. Yeah. Oh man. Nice yeah. work. There's some other <laughs> best conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no worries. There, no worries. Yeah. So wh where was your office actually at? Uh, so the office was with in the secretary suite. So, so you're, was, is there like a door between you guys? Uh, yeah, sure. So, uh, so he had a, a door, obviously, okay. to yeah. a to a massive office, yeah, a nicer one than yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would yeah. say so. So, did you guys yeah. at least like share a coffee machine or anything, or no? No, he he didn't have any one. worries. Yeah. Oh man, that's um, pretty sweet. Yeah. So, so we, most we, of your time was spent with Secretary Mattis. Yeah, I would say so. You know, I was with him every day that he was in Conus. Okay. Um, what's what's that like? What's the day to day like with Secretary Mattis? Uh, it was, <laughs> it was fantastic. You know, it, it was pretty regimen. We, he had a, he had a battle rhythm that, that was fairly well understood. And, um, that actually it was really well understood. And, and it's one of the things that I take with me and in, into the private sector is, Hey, you need to establish the battle rhythm at which you are, meeting and communicating with your leaders and how are you teaching and coaching and mentoring your teams? He was really good at that. Um, and so we would, we would have a, a seven thirty stand up every morning. Uh, he had a, he had a small group meeting. Uh, I can't remember the exact cadence, but three times a week, maybe, um, at eight thirty, And then we had a, we had a large group meeting, once a week maybe with with a larger group of military advisors and others but uh yeah we you know it was it 
no day was the same. Um, but it took a lot away from, from the time with the secretary. He taught me a lot, not only about leadership, but about how to operate uh, an organization efficiently and effectively. Uh, so you got to a lot of the time was behind the scenes. So yeah, you know, yeah. So mostly preparation, things like that, debriefing, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. What did, so he's a big reader. Yeah, from what know, I've read. Yeah, his habit patterns as Marine Corps general going into Secretary of Defense. Yeah. What did you notice about habit patterns for him, and, and did you take away anything from that? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think probably the biggest takeaway for me was he, he's a voracious reader. I mean, we, for example, we would put together what we called a read-ahead for him, which was a binder of material that, that got him prepared for the meetings that he had over the course of the next 48 hours, right? So every meeting, his, his days were obviously packed, so he'd be meeting with a dignitary from uh, from Turkey or from uh, Jordan or wherever it was, and we would prepare a, a, a synopsis of the meeting, who was in the meeting, what was the U.S. What, what what was the discussion about? What was the U.S. position on that discussion? Who was going to be in the room? All the things that you would imagine you would need to know, and the readaheads began to get very long. Obviously, when you have 25,000 people in the Pentagon helping one person prepare yeah, for their day, sure. right? So, um, and what would end up happening is the secretary would go home with these, these binders of information and he would come in and he'd just look exhausted. And we quickly realized that if we were going to give him material to digest overnight, he was going to digest it hell or high water, mm-hmm. right? He was going to, he was not going to sleep until he yeah. prepared for the next day or the next seven, 48 hours. And so we really had to start necking down the information that we were willing to put in front of him. He was an enormous, he is an enormous preparer of, of meetings. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways for me was the, the importance of preparation, um, you know, if I have a meeting, send me the readhead. Let me digest it so that I can be mm-hmm. informed on what we're going to talk about. So was the readhead like an outline of like bullet points of key information or was it a full up script of things? Yeah, yeah. it was a full. I mean, so it depended. It, it was dependent on the situation, but it would be, hey, here's the agenda. Here's who's in the meeting. Here's the what we know about these people who are going to you are going to meet with. Here's the U.S. policy on this this discussion you name it. I mean, it was, it was fairly rigorous. Okay. So that's a busy, right? So what'd you guys do? Was there like a uh, happy hour or anything with, with the secretary staff or anything on Thursdays? Yeah. It's funny. How did that go? If you guys had something like that? Yeah, it's funny. We, we had a, uh, we had a large conference room in the secretary suite. Okay. uh, And, and the front office was a great group of people who uh, were high performers, obviously who, we're also great humans and would like to, you know, hang out as well. So uh, one of the early days, one of the, you know, first Fridays, it was probably the fourth Friday of, of the, uh, the new administration. We all get along or we get together in, in the conference room. And, and one of the, he was actually a, an army colonel brings in a bunch of beers for everybody. We just start popping sodas nice. and uh, start telling stories. It ends up that this 
this guy is 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 a legend, and I'm not going to get into his story, but uh, uh, he's a current day real no real deal no shit legend um, in Afghanistan, maybe Pakistan. Okay, uh, sure. We'll just leave, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave, leave that one yeah. open, and then yeah. we'll hit you up offline. And yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, uh, this army colonel you're talking about. Yeah, great okay. human. All right, cool, cool. So you guys had beers with a legendary... And he told a story. So that, that's the point of me bringing that up is that we popped some stories and he told us... So we had all heard like scuttlebutt about, hey, this guy is somebody. And yeah, and he's the most humble dude on the planet. Just a bro. We're like, really? Yeah, his first name bro, right? Yeah. He's, he's a colonel, yeah. but uh, just down to earth guy. And and uh, people were like, hey, you need to... I'm not going to tell you what the story is, but you need to ask him. So he, he, he brings in a bunch of sodas yeah, and we, yeah. we pop tops. What kind of beer did he bring in? Yeah. Like, I, I have no I, idea. I hope I it's like Natty Light. No, like I, it was not. I mean, it, it was good beer. Okay, all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Say, yeah. Some PBR. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's, that's some good blue-collar beer, man. All yeah, right, no funny. worries. We're sitting right now, by the way, for the listeners, we're sitting in PBR's brewery, the old brewery of, of PBR. We're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin right now. Yeah. It's 34 degrees outside. Yeah. And uh, we're at Bar's beautiful apartment. Just killing it, dude. Uh, all right, so you're hanging with Secretary Mattis, yep. and I got to back up a little bit. So when you got this gig, did you have you had an idea that you're like, all right, I, I might be hanging out with General Mattis, and obviously as a Marine prior, you know, he's like iconic in the Marine Corps. Yeah, uh, you know, Desert Storm One, Fallujah, I mean, yeah, a lot deal. of a lot of history. Yeah. Um, do you guys ever chance to sit down and talk, you know, Marine Corps, like, hey, bro, you're a fighter pilot stories and shit like that? Well, I wouldn't say that they were, uh, hey, bro, fighter pilot stories, <laughs> but, you know, one, one of the really cool stories is um, early on, one of the first weeks, he grabs me. Oh, this is cool, actually. It was the first week. He had just been confirmed in the Senate, and he comes to my office and I'm talking to Justin, right? So Justin and I, Justin, actually, the guy, the speech writer my, for secretary right. Panetta. And that's right. okay. Got it. Justin. Yep. So my best, third grade buddy, my best friend on the okay, planet. Got right? it, and got it. My back is, so I'm in Justin's office. My back is to the door and secretary Mattis walks behind me and, and I can see Justin kind of pop up, right? Like sit up straight. Oh right? shit. And somebody's and in I, the room. Yeah. Right. And I kind of turn around and, uh, and it's the secretary, and, and he said, hey, hey, Brad, do you have some time for me? And I said, of course, sir. Just let me grab my, my like, my ink stick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't say that. I, did, I didn't. All I right, said, all right. Hey, let me go get my notebook. And, all right, and, cool. Uh, he goes, you won't need that where we're going. And they go, okay, cool. Okay. And he said, hey, walk with me. So we we, we depart the, the secretary's suite. So the secretary's suite's kind of, like, guarded from the rest of the so there, there aren't people in and out of it. It's, it's kind of a, uh, a quiet place. But we, we walk out of the secretary suite, and it's still a nice hallway on the outside. But we, so we start going for a walk, and it's kind of the first time that the secretary has been seen as the new secretary. And so he's, he's waving. He's saying hi to people. He's not waving, but he's saying hi to people. And, and uh, we walk down the marble staircase that is uh, coming off the second floor and I'm just following him and he's just chatting. Yeah. And then we go out to his parade deck, which is right outside of the the E ring, right outside of his office. And it's a beautiful parade deck. 
and I just start kind of walking with him and you know it's probably a lap around a track so it's probably a quarter mile and he just starts asking me questions about who I am and what I want to be someday and you know, what do you like, have to be in your grow up bar? Yeah, you know, right. Like and I'm like, like hey, hey, yeah, no, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, that that's really like he was just trying to feel me out a little bit. Yeah. Like, what do you? Why yeah. are you? Why are you here? Right. And I'm like, I don't know. How did you get I here, know, sir? I don't know. Man. You tell me. <laughs> How did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, we had we had a great discussion, and it was just like a another pinch. Every day was a pinch me moment. You know, I can't believe I'm doing this. I have no business being here. Have I said that yet? A couple times. Yeah. So. Just neat. I mean, he showed genuine interest in the people who worked for him, and um, he demonstrated. He 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 walked the walk. You know, there was there was nothing that he wasn't willing to do that he would ever expect out of other people. Uh, he carried his own bags. All as a, you know, I mean, that's just the type of guy he was. Yeah, dude, that's cool, man. Yeah. So, so you guys hung out quite a bit. Did he ever recommend any books to you that he thought were good? Yeah, you know, I don't think he did, man. I, I, he's a voracious reader. I saw books on his desk all the time. I was always interested in what he was reading. But did I he ever see you reading, or did he know you could read? Well, I, <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, Barf can read, or he's like, no, I don't. I don't want to recommend a book to that guy because yeah. this guy can't read. Yeah uh yeah it's a great question okay yeah all right no no worries no worries but he reads all the time i like audio audible <laughs> audible.com no i i do i'm a i'm a big fan of reading um but no he never re- he never recommended anything to me personally which i know is odd i know he did that a lot that's kind of his his thing but was there was there do you guys have any uh i mean i guess with the interactions um so you had the business interactions, obviously. Yeah. You know, a lot of professional stuff going on. But kind of off the record, behind the scenes, in preparation or after things, any unique kind of anecdotal stories? Yeah, you know, I there are some that uh, will, will stay stay personal, but there, there's one pretty funny, pretty funny one that uh, it was about April or maybe February, March 2017-ish. Washington Post came out with an article about a shadow cabinet that was installed that, that the president had installed throughout the executive branch agencies. And, and uh, the, the story, the article was focused on the, the idea that those of us who were senior White House advisors were acting really as the political secretaries. So that would make you what exactly? Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like the whole, the whole, so the whole concept was ridiculous. Right? So if you know if that was the case, it, would that mean you were the? I don't even want to go there because it <laughs> like the the idea is so <laughs> fabricated and so ridiculous that it's okay. obnoxious. To so even. the shadow cabinet. <clears throat> yeah. So so the idea was us on that. Yeah. Well, so the idea was that that. Uh, me and my colleagues, the other senior White House advisors, were essentially acting as the political secretaries and that we were really approving things. And uh, I was pointed out as former Marine Corps major F-18 pilot, essentially was spying on the most famous general of our time. Really? Right. Wow. And uh, they, they, yeah, exactly. So even they, they even <laughs> called me, they said, 
that others in the Pentagon called me the commissar. Wow. Yeah, which became my pseudo nickname uh, within the administration. Barf the was, commissar. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Oh, man. Just abs- absurd. So this this bombshell of an article comes out. Nobody's really taking it seriously because it was... They even called me... Uh, Brett Byers. I mean, so they didn't, I mean, the, the level of journalism is not real. The bar is not pretty real high. Here. Yeah, pretty They're low. spelling. They're, they're not even checking sources. Hooked on phonics, bro. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's embarrassing. The, the authors of that article should mm-hmm. be embarrassed with themselves. Got it. But he calls me in to his office the morning that that's published and just prior to our stand-up meeting. He said, hey, Brad, can I have a minute with you? And I said, of course, sir. Sure. You're the Secretary of Defense. <laughs> yes, sir. And uh, he said, I assume you saw the article. I said, yes, sir, I did. And he said, hey, hey, listen, if you're going to run in these circles, uh, they're either going to find out the bad things about you or they're going to make it up. And, and he proceeded to tell me some funny stories about his time over the course of the 40 years as an officer in the Marine Corps and his interactions with the media and we're laughing and, and, uh, I, it's apparent that it's my time to leave. Right. So I'm going to exit his office before re-entering for our stand-up meeting. And, and I start to turn and he said, Hey young man. And I, and I turned around and I said, yes, sir. He, he said, you keep your sense of humor. Okay. I said, yes, sir. Of course. And he said, and I start to, to walk out and there, there are people standing outside the office and he said, and when all else fails, Fuck them. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just like I a mean, good Marine yeah. Corps general. I mean, that yeah. is, if that yeah. isn't embodied Dude. who we think Mattis is. Spot on, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there is, there's a little bit of a Mattis mystique that he doesn't embrace all the time, but it's there. Yeah. Right? It's underlying. And Dude. Uh, sometimes like, yeah, I, the dude abides exactly yeah. on board <laughs> on board i like it that's all even a sec def it's like you know what fuck them enough's, em. enough's enough i know and and really one of the cool things about the secretary is he genuinely has a admiration and respects the importance of the free press right and he always wanted to tell the story and he always wanted to make sure that they had what they needed to 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 report to the American people because he believed that that's an important part of our, our free society. But, um, we did, we, we saw the press behave in a way that was less than honorable, less than honorable. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Without, um, we're not going to need to get into that. I no, think a I'm lot not, of that's, I'll leave it there. A lot of that's self-explanatory. Yeah. Uh, but like with, with that experience that you had, so you got a chance to hang out with some pretty awesome people, uh, secretary Mattis, be a role player at the White House, run a shadow cabinet. You know, <laughs> yeah, congrats right. on that, yeah. man. Put yeah. that on the resume. Yeah, you know, yeah, I ran the shadow sector cabinet. I was, uh, yeah. Was I can't big... tell you how absurd that is, by the way. <laughs> that could not be for dude. Resume not... bullet, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, resume no, bullet. No, throw it no, on there. No, uh, not only no, but <laughs> but no. So honestly, uh, dude, there's got to be some really cool lessons. So I mean, just your experience in the Marine Corps getting into that kind of bill, which is absolutely unheard of. And obviously somebody, you know, put your name in the hat and you slip through the cracks to make it. So congratulations on that. It's uh, absolutely true. You know, having a chance to, to play in the civilian game, was there certain things from the Marine Corps that you learned that, that you put into play like leadership 
uh, things like that that were beneficial or maybe not beneficial for you, like in the civilian sector? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I so the the answer is absolutely yes. You know, there's there's a guy who's kind of made this famous. His name is Simon Sinek, and uh, he's written a couple of books and and uh, has podcasts and and uh, TED talks. And you should look him up if you don't know who he is. But he talks about this concept of servant leadership and leaders eat last. Right, is a famous book that he has. I shouldn't say famous, but it's a popular book. Um, but the Marine Corps makes it real, right? And and he 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 obviously gets that concept from the Marine Corps officership and, and our ideas of, of what it means to be a leader. And the place that, that he comes from, Simon comes from, is is the idea that Marines, and you, you know this as well or better than I do, will make sure that their team, their Marines, get fed, literally, uh, before they're willing to go and, and get nourishment themselves. And that concept is critically important, uh, not only in the Marine Corps, but in, in the private sector. And here's, here's the example is when you are willing to extend that favor to your Marines and say, hey, brothers, uh, I want you to make sure that you guys have what you need to be successful. You guys are the warfighters. I'm behind you guiding providing the vision and direction but you guys are the warfighters and making it happen i want you to have what it takes have everything you need to be effective when you take that concept and you apply it to the private sector and say hey guys you guys are my team i'm not you guys aren't here to serve me i'm not the one in charge i'm the one responsible to take care of those in my charge right and that's that's a it's a famous saying that Simon says all the time, Simon Sinek. It's incredibly powerful. When you, when you extend that trust and, and um, you make those relationships, people will, will walk on water for you. And, and that's a, I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a bad way other than when you lay down, when you do what it takes to earn trust, you get trust in return. And... Uh, it's an incredibly powerful and important concept that uh, I think all of us as business leaders can really um, embrace. So building relationships. Yeah, building relationships and trust. You know, if, if I could write a book that, here's a question from Harvard Business School, right? The application yeah. process, they, they said, hey, uh, if you were to write a book, what would the title be? Okay. And um, it's like, shit, I don't know. <laughs> I don't read books. I, I, <laughs> what are books? I, yeah. <laughs> what are I those like, things, cr- man? I draw pictures. I only listen. Crayons yeah. and yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so uh, they, my dumb, dumbass answer was, uh, uh, it was stupid. It was uh, trust, colon, using grammar there. Right, good work. The currency of effectiveness. Right, so... In order to be effective, you have to build trust. Without trust, you will never be effective. So if you were to think about um, an effectiveness equation, for example, uh, effectiveness would, would equal the quality of your solution, how, how, how smart you think you are, right? Times end-user buy-in, your ability to get your team to believe in your solution, times execution capability 
right? So simply, effectiveness equals the quality of your solution times end user buy-in times your ability to execute capability. If any one of those things is zero, your product is zero. So you could have the best damn solution in the world, but if you don't get end user buy-in, you're worthless as a leader. You're totally ineffective. Did you think of that? Yeah, that's right. No, dude, nothing I say is ever <laughs> That was a bumper original. sticker. It's yeah. a bumper yeah. sticker. It's a really <laughs> yeah. fascinating yeah. bumper sticker. Holy no. shit, dude, that was, that's legit. Well, it, it's, uh, it's good mentorship by the folks that have, have, uh, have put their arm around me in, in my, my current <laughs> position. Nothing I, I ever gotta, say. I got to write that down. Susan, nothing I ever say is original. <laughs> dude, I, got, I have zero. And, dude, you know that. I know, man. I know. I know. <laughs> you know that I know. from our I'm time not together. Fooled. I'm not fooled. <laughs> yeah. What would you say you do here? Well, people. Uh, <laughs> no, but it is. It is. So it is. A, it is cliche. Um, but I'm not sure that you could find a more true state. Every time I say it, it proves itself to be more and more true. So I, I work with some incredibly talented and smart people who are the smartest people in the room, right? All the time. And it's, it's often the case where you have to say, Hey, listen, you're absolutely right, but you've lost a team, man. You've lost them. And so whether or not you're right is totally irrelevant because the team you, is lost. Yeah. Got you it. need to work on the buy-in of the team before you can do anything else. Um, there is nothing more important than being a good dude. It's a good dude factor, man. It's the paddles factor. Be a bro. Be a bro, man. Be a bro. Right? You build relationships and trust. Be a dude people want to drink a beer with. That's right. That's it. That's it. And then you'll have the credibility if and when you have a good idea. Uh, <laughs> if you have a good idea. <laughs> yeah. People will believe you and people will follow you and say, holy shit, let's go do He's this together. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. So build relationships, establish trust. Dude, Get lucky on a good idea every once totally. in a while. Totally. Roll the dice. Yeah. Next thing you I, know. I got it. I got it. So this is kind of a tie. So I remember back in the day, this was 2011. Uh, I went up for paddle school. Yeah, buddy. And actually, it wasn't even paddle school. I went to do a boat debt. You and I went to do a boat debt. You took me out just for just a wave. And so I stayed with you and Allison. And I don't think the boys were around. Or it was just Hank. Hank. It was Hank, you and Allison. Hank Hank's, the Hank's, Hank's my Labrador. Hank, you know. Uh, so it was Hank, Allison, Barf, and me hanging out at the house in Virginia Beach. And there was a boat debt on the bush, CBN yeah. 77. So we went out and waved. And this was one of those days when 251 went out and landed the wrong boat. Remember that? Oh, drunk? my God. Yeah, another story. Jeff Dean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so funny. So another, another story. But I remember... You were showing me the books you're reading. Yeah. And we got to talk about books. But you had Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. I read it every year because I, I suck at that. Which is written in like the 20s or something. It's old school. No, not quite the 20s, but yeah. You know, it's old. Yeah, it's old. Um, end up reading it. I remember reading it. I'm like, I remember seeing this at Barf's house way back. And the basics are building relationships, building trust, yeah. establishing a rapport, be a bro. Be a dude people want to drink a beer with, yeah. you know, in our world. Yeah. And how that's the simplest thing. And if you're a leader who your Marines trust, your employees trust and all that, I mean. Get out guy, of the way. Yeah. I mean, Exa let them do their thing and yeah. stay out of the way. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 
So yeah, and it's a whole lot of fun, by the way. It, if you if you like how to win friends and influence people, there's a book that will stop you in your tracks. It's called Leadership and Self Deception by the Arbinger Institute. Okay. Be careful when you read this. Are there pictures? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope so. There, if there weren't pictures, you know I wouldn't read it. So you can count on that. You can color. It's also yeah. out on audible.com. <laughs> There's coloring book at you. In all seriousness, it is a uh, it is a wonderful read. It's a great listen. I've done both, by the way. Um, it's a, a fictional story that grabs you and gets your interest but will will punch you in the face to realize that any challenge you have interpersonally there's only one thing you can control yourself you're looking at it in the mirror got it right okay and and uh there the, the way that this happens in this story is um that the authors because it's an institute that that writes the book uh put you in a position where you reflect as the as the characters in the book and you're going, holy crap, I've been there. I've done that exact same thing. And then they tie it into the lessons learned of why you're doing those things. And you go, oh my God, that's exactly why I was doing those things. And you go, oh my gosh, I'm going to be totally ineffective if that, if I take that perspective and that approach in the future. The only thing that I can't change the other person. The only thing that I can change is is the way that I'm approaching it. The only variable you can control. Yeah, yourself. and it's it is so epically hard, right? <laughs> I it's another book that I try to read or listen to every year because uh, I go, man, I got to get better at that. And and sure enough, I find myself in a situation where I go, gosh, I got to I got to figure out how to affect this solution or this this situation in a in a more effective way. And I and I revert back to the it's book. that same book. Yeah. Okay. So, so essentially what I'm saying is I'm a terrible learner. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> you still got time. You're young, figure, man. You still got time. I can't figure this shit When you grow out. up, Barf, you're going to do things, man. Yeah, right. you're, you're really going places. Yeah, right. Nice. Oh, man. Well, let's, dude, so we got, uh, we got a few minutes left. So let's have a little fun. This um, makes me really, this really is nervous. from the hip. Susan, from the hip. This is the uh, speed round. And I'm making this on the fly this is a bad idea so heads up dude we might have to edit this out but we're gonna tap into some different avenues here all right so first one uh you're launching to the off the boat tomorrow you're going up the boulevard yeah you get one wing man who do you pick why holy cow that's a good idea the guy sitting across me for me is a guy that instantly comes into my brain and I'm not sure if it's because you're a total idiot like me or <laughs> a couple of meatheads yeah. going yeah. in country. <laughs> we got a wrestler and a hockey player <laughs> yeah. going in country, man. What this is going to work out swimmingly. What could possibly oh go wrong? My gosh, what it could possibly go wrong. I'll tell you what, we would have the most damn fun there would be. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think so from like back to your day, it's like yeah. the guys that you flew with, you know, from your experience on cruise out of that pool of guys, no shit. You got to, hey, they're tagging in the artillery. They need the best. They're launching the Alert 5. Yeah. Barf's on the Alert 5. Who do, who's your wingman? Um, Dick Simmons comes immediately to mind. He's, a, he's a, a, a J.O. with me and a really great pilot, great human, a whole lot of fun. Um, but this is a totally lame answer. 
but all of the dudes that were in the squadron I'd go in, in, a, in a heartbeat with, whether it was uh, Lenny or Squiggy, two hilarious call signs, <laughs> <laughs> whether it was uh, Petey, Slappy, Runt, Tim A., uh, okay, here. <laughs> man, I know nobody knows any of these folks. <laughs> no, I mean, some of the, so Runt, Squiggy, there's some, they're not that old, the call signs. No. I remember hearing them. I oh. remember hearing them back in the day. Uh, we had a, just an epic squadron. It's hard to, yeah. So, all right, so let's take it on the dark side. You get shot down in country. Oh, God, here's a funny fucking and you, story. Hang on. Well, all right, so let me finish the hypothetical. Yeah. You both get shot down. And you link up in country after you both get shot down. Who do you want to get shot down with? Who's the best guy to get shot down with? The guy that's willing to pull the trigger. <laughs> Meaning, I mean, Slappy Youngberg. <laughs> slappy, okay. slappy, slappy gets the nod. Slappy you got to send this to him, man. Slappy. Like, hey, slappy, I dimed you out a couple times yeah. on this podcast. So, so we were getting ready to fly into country. And here's Slappy. And uh, he's getting preparing himself and he gets his he, he checks out his pistol and he's getting a um, a magazine and normally uh, we carry two magazines with us right one in one in a pocket one in, in a weapon and slappy just grabs one and normally you fill the magazine up and he just puts one round in it and we're like wait just one round one or round, one magazine one round like slappy what are you doing man and he goes dude are you kidding me I get shot down. What do you think is going to happen? I'm going to get captured. I'm not going to let him take me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Taking it a little dark there. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But he, he was like, "Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to fucking end it." Okay. Yeah. I went, I went the other way. They yeah. were like, "How many magazines are on?" I'm like go six. I went nine magazines. I went every magazine in yeah. here. And Slappy then, is not the guy. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. Uh, I had a different perspective, and, he, and not this to, is a samurai to, story. Not, um, a, not to a, dime out my my wizard brethren. Um, I always, you know, if, if if I got shot down a two seat jet, you know, I was going to use the wizard as bait. <laughs> I was like, listen, man. I'm faster than you, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm not faster than the lion. <laughs> I'm I'm a f- I I know I'm very fast, so I'm, we're gonna use you as bait. So <laughs> when they show up, you're gonna pretend like you're dead, and I'm gonna hang out covered and concealed over here. When you hear me start shooting, that means you pop up and you know you're alive now and start shooting. And that was my plan. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I know, dude. Sorry, sorry, guys. We might uh, have to cut all of that. I know. No, this is all. Every <laughs> yeah. bit of this is staying in, man. We, we can't cut this out. All right, so that was the hypothetical. So you, you want to fly into country with anybody. You want to get shot down with Slappy. All right, so here's one. You're, Slappy would not be fast. He's not fast? So he could be the bait. Yeah, sure. All right, so you're, uh, dude, it's uh, it's case three. Yeah. Weather is Dog shit. shit. Yep. Night, 2 a.m. You get extended. You've been... You're, you're coming back Winchester. Yeah. You're out of coffee. Yep. No espresso beans. I mean, all your... On boat? All your... No, in your jet. Oh, I don't have... You know, no idea. snacks. All your snacks are gone. You're out of water. Yeah. You're coming back. Pitching deck. Yep. It's a shit scenario. Who do you want on the pickle? Oh, man. Great question. Pony Roundhorst would be at the top of the list for All right. Me. All right. Um, 
Tell tell us why. Uh, he so he was he was the paddles that brought me to the boat in T forty fives, and uh, he just had a way about him that I knew as soon as I heard Pony's voice, I'm good. Was he like a one nine hundred voice? It was like just no he seductive. A, no, no, he was he was. What do you sound like? Um, authoritative, but and confident, and but hey, bro, I'm just a dude. Right. I, I, I don't know how to explain it other than I know that's Pony and I know he's got my back. Okay. Right. Um, and, and there are probably a dozen dudes on my, on my cruises that, that I'd say the same thing about. Uh, Cherry Covarrubias would be one of them. Um, it's great to hear Dick Simmons on the pickle. Uh, oh, I mean, I, there's a lot of them. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Uh, it's kind of sidebar. Who was it that ran the LSO school when you were there? That had weeds, 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 weirds. Yes, yeah, um, legend. I mean, great he had the, human, great mentor of mine, right. great friend. But who was it? There was the one crash and burn video of the dude. It was a hornet. Yeah, took off cat one, and the rubber track was still in the cat, and he lost an engine. Jettisoned all his stores. Came around, first pass was a wave off at night at like dude twenty feet above the deck, and he was like, "Oh my god, that's close." Paddles was like, no big deal, man. You're good. Everything's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Came around, trapped on the second one. Yeah. He was at LSO school when we were there. The guy who was on the pickle for that. I, I don't think that that is actually the, I don't think that's weeds. It's not weeds? No, but there is one. So after weeds was a guy named Pazzo Pothier. Pazzo. That's yeah. what I'm talking. Pazzo. Yeah. But that's not the same pass. So Different Pazzo's one? famous pass was yeah. actually a a uh, a socked in weather was shitty. There was um, absolutely zero visibility. Taxi lights on, and guided him down into the wires. And as the pilot is stopping, so Pazzo does an amazing job of talking him into the wires. And as he's coming to a, to a full stop, uh, the pilot goes Clara, no or ball. ball he goes ball. ball. Yeah, he goes ball. <laughs> <laughs> and and Pazzo comes back Roger Ball it's super calm yeah, so Roger like, uh, Ball calm yeah. cool collected thanks, okay man. thanks Paddles thanks right paddles. Yeah. yeah I mean it was just thanks Paddles I mean it's just a just a <sighs> great video great video alright so one more speed round question and then yeah. we'll get into the conclusions alright so you get a chance to recommend a book to Secretary Mattis today what book do you recommend and why that's a good question. I, I so the book I recommended earlier was Leadership and Self Deception. The 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 problem I recommend that book to everybody. Everybody I see that's willing to listen, I'm like, hey, dude, you gotta you gotta read this book. Um, does that matter for the secretary today? Not so sure. Right? <laughs> uh, what what so so that's a deep and difficult question to answer because you'd have to think about what what do I want the secretary to be thinking about. You know, what, what is, uh, what's the message that I want to send? So anytime that you're recommending a book, it has to have a purpose behind sure. it. Um, and I'm not sure that I'm in a position to say, <laughs> hey, secretary, I want you to be thinking about this. Yeah, that, there you that, go, that. So, sir. Tip from Barth. Uh, yeah, tip from Barth. Here's what I want you to be thinking about. Um, I have a lot of books recently that I would tell them not to read. Okay. That's a good tip. <laughs> yeah. That's a good tip. Yeah. A lot of, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, it's a lame answer, man. I don't, I don't have one. Yeah, it's, Leader, 
shit answer. It's a terrible answer. <laughs> what else do I have? I don't know. It's all business books, man. I've been reading head down on that stuff. Okay. He, he didn't give a shit about that. Well, we'll uh, we'll circle back on when we do LSO culture. Yeah. If you got a, a better answer than this one. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> that was terrible. F. <laughs> F this question. Great great answer, Barf. Way to go, Barf. Way to yeah. punt in the stands on the last Holy question. shit. <laughs> and uh, that, my friends, is the Ready Room Podcast. That is it. So uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to finish up on that. So, um, dude, it's been a blast, man. Thank you. How fun. Uh, honestly, uh, there's a million other stories we could tap into, but we're I'm sticking with this two-hour timeline. It is a focus and a goal and we're going to stick with it. So we're, we're going to call it, but dude, thanks. Thank really you, cool man. stories, really cool business experience, really cool lessons, like just badass stuff. So, cool. but uh, before we go, man, I always like to end with the floor is yours. Any saved rounds, any random stuff you want to share lessons, learned anecdotes, tips. Uh, it's all yours, man. Take dude, it away. I've, been, I've been talking for two hours. I know. Now you got and, five, you got five more minutes. Now make, I, it, make it good. <laughs> yeah, make it good. <laughs> I would say uh, that thank God for some edit capability. Um, high quality edits. Yeah, high quality edits. I, I really don't have anything, man. I, I think uh, that, you know, the one thing I would say, if, if if there was one good thing that were to come of this time that we spent together, it would be, you know, what nugget or lesson learned could you pass on to the next group of dudes that are going through what we went through is as 22 year old guys or, or even making the decision to, to join the military. And, uh, when I was 22 years old and, and leaving, leaving college, I thought I, Hey, I want to go make some money. I, I thought I wanted to go be somebody and, and, uh, military service was never in the cards as far as I could tell. And I was, uh, I was going to say I was lucky enough to, to have a circumstance that drove me to, to consider the military service. And looking back on it, there is no better way to spend your formative years than going into the Marine Corps military service. The, the, uh, the responsibility that you get uh, at a very young age, the lessons that you learn, the scar tissue that you develop um, is something that you don't get in the private sector at that age. And um, you'll always catch up. If you want to launch off out of out of military service and launch into the private sector at any point in time, you can do it. You can go catch your peers. Don't worry about opportunity cost at 22 years old. Go attack the things that you think are important. Go write the book that you think others want to read right? and um, make it happen. I'm glad I did. I know you're glad you did. Uh, I'd recommend to anybody who's ever entertaining the opportunity to go put on the uniform, go do it. Wear the flag on your shoulder and do it proudly and take the fight to the enemy. Okay. All right, folks. You heard it here. For Barf and Susan, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time here on the Ready Room Podcast.